Over the last several weeks, I've noticed there's been a common theme or thread running throughout our text that I've been preaching on, and therefore it's been running throughout my sermons, and, and I've noticed that there's been a repeated call to action. Of course, I try to always have a call to action of some sort whenever I, I try to apply these biblical texts to our daily lives, but, uh, but, but this has been a little bit different, and maybe it's just something that's going on in my own heart, but I've noticed that, our, that, that in our text, God is calling us to something bigger and something higher, something more active. You know, it's, it's good to come to church and listen to a sermon. That's good. It's good to come to Sunday school and, and listen to a lesson. It's good to come on Wednesday night and, and, and discuss the biblical text. But the question of the hour really is, what are you doing with that knowledge? Are you taking that, that, that word from God and just letting it sit? Or are you taking the word of God and actually doing something with it? Are you in service to the king? As I prepared for this message, I couldn't help but think of our church newsletter. And you might be saying, newsletter, newspaper? I, I didn't even know we had one. Well, we don't anymore. But, uh, but you remember, some of you who have been here for uh, several years might remember that uh, back a long time ago, I started up a, a little uh, newsletter, newspaper, whatever you want to call it, called the New Hope News. And it had little articles in there, little blurbs about things that were going on, and stuff like that. It's been... It's been uh, by the wayside for many years now. But in one of those editions, I, I reprinted an article with permission by a man by the name of Dave Daubenmeyer. And it was called The Church of the Dead Sea. And that article has stuck with me all these years. And I, I was able to find that article online again. And I wanted to read a couple paragraphs to you. And just so you understand, kind of, I, I pick up, and I don't, I'm not going to do the whole article right now, but, um, but where he starts out is, is he, he recounts the time he was sitting in a church. The preacher was up. He was proclaiming the Word of God. He was being faithful to the text. He was doing all those things. And as, as this man was sitting in the balcony of that church, he looked out over the people. And here's what he said. As I surveyed the crowd, I was struck with the realization that most Christians, even in good Bible-teaching churches, are overstuffed. You know the feeling, the laziness uh, that always follows a good meal and the desire to sit in an easy chair and snooze. That's what's happening in our churches. Christians are sitting in the pew, occasionally raising a hand in agreement with the word, crying out amen to the pastor, much the way a sheep baas, and slowly chewing on the meat that's being served. When the service is over, they go home, lie on the couch, chew on the cud, and bide their time for their next opportunity to go to church and eat. They don't understand that the purpose of the meal was to give them nourishment for battle. The battle for souls is raging, and most churchgoers are too content to merely feast, oblivious to their role in advancing the kingdom. Later on, he says, The Dead Sea is dead because although there is plenty of water flowing in, there is nothing flowing out. The Dead Sea cannot contain, sustain life because there is no outlet, and that creates a stagnant body of water. That's what I saw as I looked over the crowd that night. Stagnant Christians living a stagnant Christianity caused not by a lack of intake, but by a lack of outflow. And then he says, As I sat in the balcony overlooking the Dead Sea Church, as he, as he termed it, another irony hit me. The Dead Sea is full of salt. Jesus said, We are the salt. The Dead Sea is useless because of stagnant salt. Has the salt sitting in the church become stagnant and good for nothing? I'm sure many of you are offended by now, that's what, that's what so many of us do when challenged in our faith. We get bitter instead of better. Now, I want you to pay attention to these next few sentences very closely. 
He says, we can't figure out why our churches aren't full of new fish. We haven't yet come to the realization that nothing lives in the Dead Sea. And what is the Dead Sea? It's a reservoir full of salt where much flows in, but nothing flows out. Without a steady flow of outflow, any fish who do make it into the sea will eventually stagnate and die. And then he approaches this question, is your Christianity living? And I, I read that, I had read it a number of years ago, and, and then I, I came across it again online, and I read that, and that is some, man, that's some good stuff right there. That's a, that's a challenging word, and I, I, I bring that to your attention because the story that we're going to look at, it's in, the, it's in the Old Testament book of Second Kings, is the story of Naaman being healed of leprosy. It's a very, very well-known story. It's full of human interest. It's, it's a fascinating story, but it has a deeper message, one that centers on the necessity of obedience to God. Obedience to God, that's what this whole thing's about. We're going to be in, in 2 Kings chapter 5, and here's what I want you to get out of this message today. Probably all of us here, if I were to go to each one of you and, and ask you publicly, ask you privately, probably everybody here would say, I believe God. I have faith in God. I trust Him. I, I've got faith. But if you really believe God, then you do what He says. Because if you don't believe, or, or, or you say you believe, but then you don't do anything, can you really say that you believe? Well, as James said, he said, don't be hearers of the word only, but doers as well, because faith without works is dead. See, we, we try to have an ex exclusionary thing. We think it's either faith or works, but it's faith leads to works. Faith goes along with works. He says faith without works is dead. And I want to challenge you in your works today. I want to challenge you in your obedience. So look if you would at 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. It says, Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man. Here your Bible may say Syria. I'll just, I'll just read it. Syria, same place. Syria is a lot easier to say for me. So, captain of the army of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. The man also was a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Armenians had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel, and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. Now that little girl, we, we can do a sermon just on that little girl and and, uh, and the, the kindness that she was showing to this family. Anyway, verse 4. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took, took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. Now this is a lot of money. He brought the letter of, uh, to the king of Israel, saying, and now, this, as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive, that this man is sending word to me to cure this man of leprosy? But, now, but consider now, and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elisha. Elisha sent a messenger to him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you will be clean. 
But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the, over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abna and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in, in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Then the servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says, Wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Now today we're talking about obedience, about doing what God says, but obedience does not happen in isolation. Obedience is based on faith. To say it another way, faith is the first part of obedience. Faith is the first part of obedience. How's that so? Well, notice how it happened in our text. Naaman is a soldier. He's a mighty warrior, but he's a pagan. Even though he's, he's not part of the people of God, he's what, he's what we would probably term a good man. He's well-respected. He's well-liked, but he has a problem. The Bible says that he was a leper. Now, if, if you're thinking quickly today, you might be thinking to yourself, I thought lepers had to stay in their own, their own colony, separate from everybody else. How could he be a, a, a soldier? Now, God had given the Israelites a law that said because the lepers are, are contagious, it's a, it's, a, it's a deadly disease, highly contagious, they have to be away from the rest of the population. They have to be separated. But you know what? That is not... Uh, that, that's not the case in the pagan world. Back then, if you were a leper, you were just out with everybody else, uh, anybody that would be around you. And so that's how this man was a leper and a military man. Now, he has what's essentially a terminal illness. And this Jewish slave girl who had been captured, taken from her homeland, she, she kindly tells Naaman's wife about Elisha. And what was Naaman's response? Well, if you'll notice uh, in, verse, in verse 3... She says, Elisha could cure him of the leprosy. Verse 4, Naaman went in and told his master, who's the king. So right away he heard about Elisha, and Naaman gets permission from the king to go to Israel. Now Israel is enemy territory. He was probably one of those people who had led uh, the raid that took this little girl captive in Israel's territory. So he's going into enemy territory at the king's permission. This takes faith. He believed that God could and would heal him. He did it because he believed that God could make a difference. He had faith. Now, I, I, we, we see it later when, when he finally did submit to the command of Elisha, don't we? Elisha said, go and dip in the water seven times. Finally, he did it. He did it because he trusted the power of God to make a difference. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I preached a sermon on unlimiting God in, in our lives. Unlimiting His power in our lives. And I said then, and I think, it's, uh, I think it's, it's, it's in this passage as well, our biggest problem as Christians is we simply don't believe God. We simply don't believe God. We don't think that, he, that He'll act. We hope so. We say, oh, it would be nice if He did. I sure hope that He does. It, it would sure be good. I would like that an awful lot. But we just don't believe that He actually will. We don't believe that God will follow through on His promise. And I just want to apply this uh, to us personally. Think about your own life. Is there something that God has commanded you to do? Maybe it's in His Word. And He says, do this, don't do this. Is there something He's commanded in His Word? Maybe He's laid something on your heart. And the Holy Spirit, as, as plain as I'm speaking to you today, He has told you, you need to do this. He's laid it on your heart. And you have resisted His command. You have not done what God said because of a lack of faith. And that, that's really what 
inaction points to is a lack of faith. You don't act because you don't believe. You'll, you'll, you will not obey unless you believe first. Faith leads to action. The second thing I see here is that God's plans often don't make sense to us. God's plans don't usually make sense to us. Look at verse 10 again. Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored to you and you'll be clean. Now, Naaman comes to Elisha's door and Elisha sends words out to him, Go down to the Jordan River and that's it. In that anticlimactic, can you imagine being Naaman? Oh, I'm going to make this journey and, and I'm just, what's that going to be like? Is there going to be a crowd around? Is there going to be music playing? Is there, is there going to be a man in a white suit? Uh, I mean, what's it going to be like? And then you get to the door. He says, go dip in the river. How anticlimactic would that be? And, and, and it doesn't make sense to, to Naaman. He's expecting Elisha to go through a big ritual. He's expecting some big show. And, but that's not God's plan. God's plan was for him to go dip in the Jordan River. Now to us, that's not significant. In fact, we may expect that. Because what do we sing? On Jordan's stormy banks I stand and, and cast a wishful eye. We, we, we read about Jesus being baptized in the Jordan. All these things happening with the Jordan River. And we say, well, yeah, of course it's the Jordan River. It's, it's the Jordan River. But it, it, it didn't make sense to Naaman because the Jordan River was and is a dirty, muddy river. It's a lot worse than the, the cold, clear waters they even today have in Damascus where Naaman was from. And Naaman was like, now listen to this. This makes sense. He said, if you want me to be clean, don't tell me to go dip in muddy water. And that, that makes sense, right? That's, that's common sense. Now to bring this home to, to southwest Missouri, it'd be like Naaman comes to Elisha. Elisha didn't say, let's go down there and turn back. It's pretty clean. Dip in it and, and then you'll be clean. He didn't say, go over there to Mount Vernon, over at Baptist Hill Camp. There's a spring there, Spring River. That's where it starts. Man, that water there is crystal clear. Go dip in that and be clean. He didn't say, you know, there's an old boy over on, on, on that road over there. You go down to the road and hang a left. You know how it is. Go down to that old place, and they've got a nice swimming pool. It is beautiful. Go dip in it and be clean. Instead, it would be more like him saying, see that cow pasture over there? There's an old cow pond out there. Yeah, I know the cows. You know what how they are. Yeah, that muddy's nasty looking. Go dip in that. Then you'll be clean. Can you imagine how, how that would have chafed on them? It didn't make sense to him. And, and, and there's a lot to be said about having common sense. It's not real common today. The old timers back home used to call it horse sense. And there's a lot to be said about having horse sense, but horse sense has its limits because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. The Bible says in Isaiah 55 that as high as the heavens are above the earth, that's the way God's thoughts and His ways are above our thoughts and ways. And when God said, do, do this, that's what He wanted done, even if it didn't make any sense to Naaman. Now maybe you've been holding off on doing something because God said do this, and you say, God, that doesn't make any sense. You want me to be clean, don't tell me get muddy water. That doesn't make any sense to, to, to be doing what you're telling me. I can't figure it out, so I'm just not going to do it. Just because you can't figure it out, don't let that stop you. Because if God's called you to do it, you leave the details to Him and, and, and just obey Him. Somebody said, I don't know how electricity works, but I'm not going to sit in the dark till I figure it out. And you, don't have to, you don't have to have it all figured out to be obedient. 
One time I heard about a, a Quaker missionary. His name was Stephen Grillette. And one time he felt a strong burden from the Holy Spirit to go to this American lumberjack camp and preach to those men. So he goes out there to this this camp, and he gets there and it's, it's deserted. There's nobody there. They've gone further into the woods. So put yourself in his place. God said, go to this place and preach to these men. And you get there, there's nobody there. What would you do? Probably I would say, yes, I missed that one. I go back to the house. But he knew that God had laid it on his heart to preach to these men. So he went to the mess hall, empty room, and he started to preach. He opened his Bible, and he just preached. Nobody showed up. He went on back. A number of years later, he was crossing the London Bridge, and there was a man that saw him, and he said, Hey, I've been looking for you for a long time. And he said, and I'm just paraphrasing what happened, but he said, I think you're mistaken. I've I've never never seen you before. He said, Yeah, aren't didn't you go and preach at a, a a lumber camp one time? Yeah. He said, You you didn't know it, but I we had gone further into the woods and I came back to the camp to get a saw that had been left behind. And when I got back, I heard a man's voice and I thought it was odd because there should be nobody there except for me. And I went over to that building where I heard your voice and I stood outside that that mess hall. And I never went in, but I stood there and I listened to you preach. And as he stood there, God got a hold of him. He repented of his sin and he became a Christian. He got a Bible later and he led other people to the Lord. And that's pretty great. Common sense would have said, you show up to an empty room, you go back to the house. You don't preach. But God had said, you go here and you preach. And he, he was obedient and a man is is in heaven today because of his obedience. Even if it even if you don't understand why God wants you to do something, that doesn't mean don't do it. That just means you need to trust him all the more. Be obedient and leave the rest to him. And the third and final truth I see here is that pride can keep us from being obedient. Pride can keep us from obedience. Now I noticed that Naaman almost missed his blessing. He almost missed the work of God because of his pride. Now remember, up in up in Syria, he was a big shot. I'm sure when he went to a restaurant, he got him a steak dinner. They probably said, "No, Naaman, your money's no good here. I've heard I, I've heard what you do, do on on the on the battlefield. Your money's no good here." He was in good with the king. I'm sure he's being used to being treated in a certain way. I've noticed that sometimes people will have a high position at work. They'll be used to. They'll get used to being treated a certain way. Maybe they run around with certain people that, that treat them like they're something special. And then if you don't treat them like they're something special, they get their nose out of joint. You ever been around those types of people? Well, that's what happened with Naaman. He was used to being treated. He was, he, was, he was ready for the royal treatment when he showed up to Elijah's house. He was waiting for the, the red carpet to be rolled out right up to his chariot. But then what happened? He gets to Elisha's house. He goes to the door. Elisha doesn't even bother to go to the door to meet him. That offended him. And then on top of all that, Elisha says, go dip in, in, in this old muddy river. I'm not doing a big ceremony. I'm not waving my hands. I'm not doing any of this stuff. No production. Just go and do what God says. And that offended him because, because a healing wasn't enough for him. He wanted healing plus a show. And his pride almost kept him from being obedient to what God had said. And we do the exact same thing sometimes. We say, you know... 
I really think that God's want me to do this, but it's just such a small thing. It won't. It wouldn't matter. You know, if He was calling me to be a missionary, yeah, I might consider working at Bible school. That's that's a small thing. You know, He wants me to do this, I think, but you know, it's just talking to my friend. That's such a small thing. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to make a difference. Sometimes our pride makes us think we know better than God does. We have a better plan. God says go dip in the Jordan. He says no, go dip in the clean river. God tells us to do a certain thing. We say no, I'll do this instead. Sometimes we think that, that what God wants us to do is going to make us look foolish in front of other people. Can you imagine what Naaman was saying as he's dipping his designer clothes in that muddy old river? What are the people going to say now? Every time he dipped, oh, oh, I just got more mud on these sandals and I just got them. Mm. What are people going to say? What happened, Naaman? You fall off your horse and into a mud puddle? <laughs> you know, I'm sure he was thinking that people were going to be making fun of him. He was going to look foolish for doing what God had said. And our pride keeps us from doing, uh, it makes us do the same thing. Well, if I do this, people will say, what, you're, you're giving up your job to do that? You want to enter the Christian ministry? Are you crazy? I mean, they'll, they'll, there's no telling what they'll think. Pride will keep people out of the kingdom of God. They won't admit they're a sinner. They think, oh, I've got to do something big. Or they think they should do something big. That's what Naaman, he would have been willing to do about anything. Except the very simple thing. But whether it's being obedient to what God said, whether it's being uh, becoming a Christian, those things require us to swallow our pride. It requires us to trust not in us, but in God. It's when we lay our, our, our pride down. And the way of salvation is plain enough. It's repent and believe. To use the wording of, of, of our text in verse 13, wash and be clean. That's simple. But it's not always easy because our pride will keep us from doing it. And if we don't do it, we've got nobody to blame but ourselves. And if God's calling us to do something, maybe it's becoming a Christian. Maybe it's entering an area of Christian service. Maybe, here's one, maybe it's forgiving somebody. Think that that might be an obedience thing? They've wronged you, said, well, I'm not going to forgive them. They've never said, I'm sorry. Guess what? When Jesus was on the cross, nobody said, I'm sorry. But yet he said, Father, forgive them. Maybe it's going to somebody that you've wronged. And though your pride says, I, ugh, I can't do it. You make yourself say, I'm sorry. I was wrong. Ask forgiveness. Maybe it's talking to a friend about that thing that's been on your heart. Maybe it's making a change of lifestyle so that you're in line with what God says. There are all these things. This is, this is obedience. This is basic stuff. But this, It's all about obedience. And what is obedience? Obedience is faith in action. That's exactly what obedience is. Obedience is, is putting feet, feet to our faith. Use the sermon title. Obedience is faith in shoe leather. We're just getting with it. If you long to see God work in your life, that's what He responds to. It's being obedient to Him. The Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. Being the dad has taught me some things. 
one of the things that's taught me is that I would rather Jesse do the things that I say than give me something. You know what I mean? Because sometimes I'll, I'll ask her to do something, and maybe she doesn't do it, but, you know, 20 minutes later she'll bring me a picture that she's done. Well, I like the picture, but I'd rather her have done what I said. What would be even best is she did what I said, and then bring me the picture. And I, I read I read the Bible, and I think that's what God's saying to us. He's saying, you know, you can bring me a sacrifice. You can give me your, your gifts. That's nice. I like them. But I'd rather you do what I said. There'll be instant and sacrifice. And what would be even better is that we do what he says and then give him our sacrifice. Obedience is what God's looking for. Jump to the New Testament. James says, you say you've got faith. Great. Show me your faith with your works. The proof is in the pudding. And maybe you need to be obedient to God. Maybe God's calling you to something, even as I speak. He's calling you to some area of obedience. And if so, the Bible says, don't harden your heart. Obey Him. And if you've never trusted in Christ for salvation, today's the day to do that because the real obedience starts right there. Jesus said, for this is the will of my Father. Here's what God wants. Here's, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. And then He makes a promise, and I'll raise Him up on the last day. A little bit later, the Bible says, God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God wants you to be saved. Whatever God is calling you to do, do that today.